Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes or Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, we are going to be doing something different from our regular interviews and conversations that we have. Today is going to be all about the East Texas showdown and slowdown routes that I've developed. And we are going to be holding a race slash event in just 22 days from today. So I wanted to create an episode about the route, about the race, and give people an idea of what they can expect, especially people who are coming from out of state. I really try to talk to people who may have never come to Texas, have no idea what to expect, and really try to give an idea of uh, a lot of things, you know, what what is Texas like? What are the roads like? What are the people like? You know, what what to expect? What are the resources like? All these things are hopefully helpful and informative to people who have never been to Texas or aren't as familiar with East Texas as maybe some of us. But also, I hope that it is informative and helpful to Texas themselves. I really think that this route is going to take even Texans into parts unknown. We'll also be covering stuff like tire choice, surface conditions, weather, timing of the race, why I even went through all the effort to create this route and the subsequent races that are going to be held on them. So I hope that this is valuable to not only participants of the race, also just anybody who is interested in learning about maybe what it takes to put on an event like this. As you listen to this episode, I am taking you along for the at least part of the journey as I try to find reroutes at the last minute that were in my mind necessary for safety reasons. And we'll go into more of that in the episode, so we won't take too much time on that now. But I just want to preface this by saying that I hope this is a good episode for just about anybody listening, whether you're looking to put on an event, host a race, whether you're looking to participate in this race or just do this route at some point in the future. I am going to be releasing these routes and publishing them once all the racers are done and I've gotten feedback. I'm going to use that and either put it out as it is because everybody says it's great or I'll make some changes and tweak it and put it out when it's even better. And then after this episode, I'm going to answer some questions that have come up since releasing the route. And I'm also going to be announcing a live Facebook event just for race participants. So if you are going to be participating in this year's event, please stick around to the end of the episode, listen to the whole thing, soak up all the information. And then if you still have questions, stick around for all the details about the Facebook live event so you can participate in real time and ask any questions that I failed to answer in this podcast. Uh, last note on this episode is that the audio quality isn't what you're used to. I recorded this one in my van as I was on the route, scouting it in real time. Uh, I, I was hopeful that it would be kind of a fun way to talk about the route, talk about the area, and also take you along for part of the process of what it's like to put on a route, at least through my perspective as a first-time event creator, uh, race director, 
all these things. I'm a newbie. I have no idea what I'm doing. And so I thought it'd be fun to take you along for the journey. And because of that, the audio quality isn't great, but I want to give a big shout out to my editor, Ben Crannell. He took out a lot of the background noise. You're still going to hear a little bit, but um, he did an excellent job. But I apologize. My van is a squeaky hot mess. I love it, uh, but it is noisy. When I'm listening to a podcast in the van and I'm just cruising down the road, it's squeaking all the time. So it's kind of like you're joining me for a ride along uh, in the van as I scout out the route. I encourage you to pull up a chair or a bike seat or whatever it may be and join me as I take you through this year's East Texas Showdown and Slowdown Routes. Now, before we get to today's episode, I want to give a huge shout out to the people who make this episode possible. And I want to emphasize that because I just received a negative iTunes review because I have ads now and they are requesting more content and less ads. Listen, I don't like to respond to negative criticism too much. Um, I certainly get a little bit from time to time, which is fine. But they're not coming after me. They're coming after my sponsors. And I want to be very clear that I operated this podcast for two and a half years with no advertising, no sponsorships. It was just there for everybody to enjoy. If you wanted to become a patron, you could. But it wasn't behind a paywall. It was free. So for two and a half years, you got free content. And it got to the point that I could no longer financially support the podcast as I had been for the last two and a half years. I did what most other businesses do in today's world. And I sought out advertising partners. And I want to emphasize how grateful I am for the sponsors that support this show, especially in this pandemic when Things are crazy in the industry. A lot of these companies can't even get products to sell. It is very difficult to find companies that have the advertising dollars, and I've worked my butt off to find partners that I think would be valuable to you as a listener. And I've turned down lots of sponsorships from companies that just don't make sense, that aren't a good fit, and really prioritize trying to find good content for you. The ads are the reason why I can continue to do this. The patrons are the reason why I can continue to do this. If it wasn't for them, I'd just be back selling real estate. So um, let's take a moment to really thank our newest patrons that have signed up since last week's episode. Our newest patrons are Jonas Schaller, Christy and Ross Jones, Jim Barrow, and Brandon Masters. Thank you all so much for stepping up to become patrons and sustaining members of the show. I can't do it without y'all. And if you enjoy this podcast and want to see it keep showing up in your feed, patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. This week's episode is also brought to us by Ruby Coffee. And I've got Jesse here from Ruby to talk to us about how to brew the perfect cup of coffee in your home. Coffee is... A pretty interesting brewing process. There's a, a number of factors. You need your water temperature to be around 200 degrees. So if it's too hot, your coffee is going to get a little bit bitter and astringent. Or if it's too cold, most coffee will start to taste kind of sour and weak. And you really need a grinder that's going to give you a grind size that's really even and really consistent. If the 
grind size is uneven, then some of the coffee is going to extract bitter flavors and some is going to extract sour. So you want every coffee particle to be the same size. You need to make sure that you measure out the right amount of water to coffee very consistently so that you have the same recipe. And you also need to make sure that you're not stirring the coffee or agitating it in weird ways while you're brewing, because that can also cause things to happen. So the first thing I think that can always help people is even if you have a, a cheap drip brewer at home, one thing you can do is just measure your coffee and water more specifically. If you buy a really cheap gram scale, you can get a, a scale for $10, $20. If you measure your coffee in grams, then you know exactly how much coffee you're getting every single time. And that's particularly important because different coffees from different parts of the world tend to weigh different amounts. A scale is one of those first steps that I think really helps you get consistent. And if you're consistently using the right amount of coffee to the right amount of water, so we usually say 60 grams of coffee per liter of water, then you know that every day when you're brewing, if something's tasting off, at least you know it's not the amount of coffee you're using. Maybe it's the grind size, maybe it's the brewer you have just has too long of a brew cycle. So there's always questions that can kind of pop up after that, but I say the first easy thing to start with is just measuring your coffee consistently. Pro tip from the man himself. Thank you so much, Jess, for coming on, and hopefully everybody will be enjoying better coffee from now on. Okay, and before we get to the East Texas showdown, I've got Matt Mason here to talk to us about an event that he has coming up in New Mexico. It's part bikepacking summit and part race. So Matt, yeah, what do you got going on with the uh, New Mexico bikepacking summit? Yeah, this is the first time we've ever done it. So it's kind of all just taking shape right now. It'll be the day before the danger bird, October 22nd. Uh, sort of all day, we'll have stuff going on. And we're just inviting people from all over to come and sort of look in on what's going on in New Mexico with New Mexico makers, you know, bike builders, people making frame bags, sort of checking that out in the morning. Um, and then in the afternoon, we're going to switch over to sort of like a little, not necessarily what you'd think of when you think of bikepacking summit, maybe. Uh, a little bit talking about sort of building the New Mexico bikepacking network which sort of expands on the work we've done on the monumental loop and takes it to a state level. And then a little more about like equity in the outdoors and sort of building a more inclusive space in the bikepacking world. So, yeah, man, I dig it. Now we did an entire episode pretty much about the monumental loop, which is the route that the danger bird is held on. And one thing I, I really liked whenever I was talking to you about it, is you said, it's not a race, it's an event. So what, what can you tell us about the danger bird? That's a good, good place to start. It's not a race, and it's not even something that has any limitations on you at all. It's a, like a group start in like the most basic sense of, we do give you the route, but if you want to ride for one day and go home or take a shortcut or dope or do, you know, there's no limitations on what you can do. If you want to draft your friends and have a big team come down, if you want to run, you don't even need to bring your bike. If you want to run the route, run the route. So we kind of want people to bring whatever part of cycling excites them to the route and just sort of match it up and see how it goes. It's more a bikepacking meeting and 
party than it is an, an event and or a race, I guess I should say. And we forgot to mention that I'm going to be in Las Cruces as well for Bikes or Death covering the event and, and I think doing a live podcast maybe. Is that happening? That's what I would like to have happen. Yeah. And I hope, I think it will um, have you and Shell sit down, Shell Money, sit down and do a little podcast. He's a local bike builder and that sort of sells him short to say he's a bike builder, but he's kind of a genius, I think. But I think it'll be fun. Shell's super entertaining. And, you know, he's like, it's because he's local, I think some other people will want to stand around and heckle y'all. Right on, dude. Well, I can't wait to see what y'all put together. So if people want to like check it out, find out more information, how can they do that? It'd be cool if we had a website. Uh, for now, it's Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, don't hesitate to message me if you see my phone number or my email somewhere, shoot me a message. Or call Outdoor Adventures, the local bike shop that I'm kind of working with to get this organized. What's your Instagram? It's Monumental Loop. There might be a dot or an underscore or something in there. <laughs> <laughs> Monumental something loop. There, I think it's an underscore. I don't. I think it's an underscore. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. You're the best, Matt. Awesome, man. Well, I can't wait to see you out there. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're really looking forward to people coming out and just sort of getting out in the desert and connecting with the landscape and with each other. And, and that's our goal of success. Anyway, if somebody has a meaningful experience, if you go fast then cool, you go fast, we'll give you a high five. But I love that. All right. Thank you for our newest patrons and our sponsors that make these episodes possible. Now, without further ado, let's have Miles Arbor take it away with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. currently in the van headed out towards a reroute, a potential reroute for the East Texas showdown that is taking place in like 35 days from today. A couple weekends ago, Sarah and I went out to scout, finalize the route, I should say, for the East Texas showdown and uh, saw just ran across like a problem, an unsafe area. Essentially, it was 20, 25 miles of roads that I wouldn't ride. And so I'm certainly not going to ask anybody else to ride them. It, you know, on paper, it looked like it was going to be remote country roads next to the lake and yada, yada, yada. But anyway, so that's what I'm doing. And... I figure what I'll do or what I'm thinking I'm going to do or what I'm going to try to do is create a guide, you know, just some thoughts about the East Texas showdown, probably whatever comes to mind or comes up as I'm uh, scouting out this section, give people that are coming an idea of what they could expect. Um, especially people who aren't from Texas. I'm definitely going to gear this more towards a perspective of 
you know, for example, I actually someone yesterday from Amsterdam registered uh, for the race. We have someone from Michigan coming, um, Idaho, all over. You know, most people are pretty close to the Texas area, but we do have people coming from all over. And I want to give mostly them an idea of what to expect. And, you know, the flip side of this is I'm always wanting to, uh, you know, help educate uh, other people as much as possible, especially since this you know, the topic of route building is the number one question that I've received in the past. So uh, I figured this would be a good opportunity to just talk about, you know, uh, some of the struggles or some of the things that I've come to and how I build routes and all that fun stuff. So let's get into it. Right now we are on East 21, East Highway 21, east of uh, Madisonville, headed out to All Branch, All Something I don't want to look right now. Some nothing town in Texas to, uh, like I said, take a look at about 65 miles of roads that I've added up to the north, northernmost portion of the route. All right, well, let's get into the route a little bit, and then you know we'll talk more about what I'm what I'm doing today, and I'll just take y'all through it. But I wanted to set it up a little bit, give you an idea of what I was going to be doing, and now I'll tell you about why I decided to do an event. First off, let's talk about the route itself. And I think to talk about the route, we need to talk about where it's taking place. And if you are familiar with Texas or you listen to my podcast much, the topic of the the lack of public lands that comes up often. Um, There's a number that floats around that only about 3% of Texas is public lands. And so it's hard to find, you know, some of these more remote places. Uh, Texas is, well, I should say you can find very remote places in Texas, but they're privately held and you can't, you know, really access them and recreate on them. Now, where I live in Bryan, Texas, about an hour away, we have the Sam Houston National Forest, which is considered East Texas. Um, And there's different you know, lines that we could talk about uh, for East Texas. Mine is east of 45. That's pretty much East Texas. And there's a portion of Sam Houston that's on the western side of 45. But this route will start at the Bullet Grill in Point Blank, Texas. I'll actually tell you about the name Point Blank because it sounds, you know, the first thing I thought and the first thing anybody will think is is a reference to a gun and being in point blank range and then of course you have the restaurant that's called bullet grill so you know it's very texas right and and that was my intention uh, was to start it at the bullet grill in point blank texas but i found out the history of the name actually is that it was originally called point blanc and i don't recall what that means there was a lady who came in from louisiana and i believe she was a plantation owner and she came to this area and i can't remember what blanc means i need to look that up i think it means beautiful but she's it's a, it's french because and she's from louisiana and then she made her way um so french first she was from france then louisiana and then made her way somehow and uh to Point Blank, Texas. Anyway, that's a very bad history of the name. I heard it, um, God, it's been years ago, and so I'm doing a bad job of 
remembering it, but um, you can look it up if you're interested. But it actually originally was Point Blanc, and of course we had to Texas, Texas it up, fix that real quick, and now it's Point Blank. So it starts there, and you're going to start off in the Sam Houston National Forest. You're actually going to start on some of my personal favorite roads, um, gravel roads that are, are in that national forest. And there are also roads that are on the Sam Houston restaurant tour that, that's out there and a lot of people are familiar with. And the other swath of land that we're gonna be riding through is north of Sam Houston National Forest. We have the Davy Crockett National Forest, which is actually my personal favorite because it's so remote. But essentially both of these forests are almost contiguous. If you were to look at on a, look on a map, it's a, it's a large swath of piney woods, loblolly pine trees. Um, I call them lumbering loblolly pines. And I certainly do enjoy um, riding with them, in them, through them. And they provide a lot of shade and they block the wind, um, but they also keep in the mosquitoes but uh, there's always a place to hang your hammock. And it's just, it's just a really beautiful area of Texas. Now, I wanna talk a little bit about the difference between our national forest land and what you may be more familiar with if you think of national forest land in you know, Colorado or Utah or you know, name you know, any of these other states. Because so much of Texas is privately held, even within the national forest, there's tons of private inholdings where people just have land that was you know, granted to them by the state or whatever. Um, you know, I think that's how most of it came is you would just come and, you know, deed out or stake out an area and you send it in to the government. And they say, OK, Joe Smith, that one's yours. Um, and so before. Uh, Roosevelt could, you know, come in and, and make some make some moves. Again, there was just a lot of private land already there. And so our national forest, I'll say it's very challenging. And the challenge that I and anyone looking to ride in Texas, but if you're looking to develop, develop a route here, it's extremely challenging if you want remoteness, if you want to get away from people, if you want to be completely isolated in the woods, in a wilderness environment, that's very difficult to achieve. Many of our country roads, you know, because here's another thing you have to understand about Texas is it's huge, but because everything is privately held, nobody has been forced to, to like congregate just in city centers. And in fact, if you look at farming and ranching, all that stuff, it developed, you know, to be this, this, big spread out area with people everywhere. So that's another thing that I've found, especially as I travel that, you know, if you go to Oklahoma, Stillwater is a great one I just went to. I mean, you go two miles outside of the city center and you are not going to see anything. And there's not anything but endless gravel roads for as far as you can see. And I wish that was Texas. Now, Texas is big and maybe other parts of Texas have that. So I guess I should say I'm only speaking more towards the, you know, about my familiarity with central Texas, which is where I live, and eastern Texas, which is where this race is held. But it's just difficult to get away from people. For me, what I wanted to create with this route is the most perfect route, in my opinion, 
the way I like to approach bike packing, some of the things I look for are remoteness, as, as remote as possible, gravel roads, or even just, you know, gravel roads are hard to come by. We're going to, we'll talk about that, but because people have been sprawled out, the roads have been developed. And so the best we can do is very remote, rural country roads or forest service roads, county roads. That's what I look for. And so my approach was to stay in the woods and away from people as much as possible, but dipping into cities for resupply points when and where appropriate, obviously keeping that in mind. Um, there are some stretches that don't have supply points for a while. And that's intentional. You know, you have to, you have to think about, you know, and plan out all those things and make decisions. That's, that's up to you. My job is to create the, the best route I can. And, and your job is to, well, go ride it the best you can. So staying in the national forest, staying in the pine trees, staying away from people, and then also putting a priority on finding the most gravel roads possible. And let's go ahead and talk about gravel roads for a second. The original route, 388 miles when I first mapped it, was 50% pavement, 50% gravel. Now, again, a lot of that 50% pavement would have been paved forest roads or county roads that not heavily trafficked and, and so on. Uh, but pavement nonetheless and we all love beautiful gravel roads. So that is the preferred terrain, especially out here in Texas. That's like the Holy Grail. And so if I'm going to set out to create the best possible route I can, it's got to highlight the most gravel possible. So the first route, 50 gravel, 50 pavement. I guess let me back up there too. How I first created the route, first off, I am from the area. I've ridden a lot of these roads. I create maps incessantly. It's probably my favorite thing to do while not riding the bike is just obsess over maps, uh, especially online, not paper maps. I'm going to be honest. I'm not that cool. I, I definitely uh, lean into ride with GPS and uh, Google satellite view quite heavily. And I have um, a whole uh, two and a half hour podcast with Kevin from ride with GPS about route building. So I won't go that deep into, into it. Um, and you can certainly seek that out if, if you're interested, but I spend a lot of time on ride with GPS. I look at what other routes are out there, what other, you know, routes people have done, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And so for this one, you know, there is a road, there's a section that's about 60 miles or so, maybe 70 miles, uh, that's in the Davy Crockett National Forest that is used by the El Camino 105 and I think it's 205 race that's been around a long time. And then also the uh, Grand Gravel 500, which is the race I did, that section is on that route as well. And it is on my route as well. It is just a stunning walk of land and beautiful roads. And I'm speaking off the cuffs because I'm driving here, so don't quote me on these numbers. But it's, I think it's essentially 70 miles of almost solid gravel roads and almost solidly in pine trees and just beautiful um, surrounding and such. And so it's, uh, it's kind of a highlight of the route for sure. I uh, looked at what was out there and put some stuff together, but 
you know, I wanted to also make it my own. And so I started with a conglomerate of all of these things. And the cool thing about Ride with GPS, if you don't know, is you can, you can add, if you're in the editing mode, you can add like, I mean, as many as you want, as far as I know, but you know, I might have like five layers of maps in there and then you turn on heat maps and I just stare at it. And then I start kind of making it in my head. And then, you know, I might zoom in on roads and uh, look at Google Street View if it's available or satellite view and zoom in and see, you know, if it's gravel, what kind of surface, if I can tell. And I might even put a POI there. That's something I do as I'm making a map. As I'm building it, I'm, I'm creating POIs all the time. You know, water sources, food, campsites, you know, everything, the type of surface um, that, that's there. So, you know, kind of getting into the weeds and I apologize. <laughs> you know, I've got a little drive. I got like seven hours of driving. So, uh, you know, I guess I'm feeling chatty to myself. So, uh, you know, that's kind of the way I go about creating a route. And one thing I want to say about creating the routes, when I talk about spending time creating a route online, this route in particular, I don't think I spent any less than six months just looking at maps and, and, and a lot. You know, I, I can't say, I'm not going to say, I don't know exactly how long, but a lot. <laughs> really getting down and looking at it. And if you're looking at, you know, almost a 400 mile route, it's a puzzle. You know, there's a lot of options. It's like, okay, well, this is a cool route, but we got a resource here. We got a campsite here. How can I put it all together? Oh, shit. This is a bad road. Well, that fucks up the whole thing. I got to scrap it. Now it's over here. And, and that's the process that I would go through is, is on, at home, at my computer, putting together a puzzle of trying to find the best roads, the best routes that account for all the things that it needs to have to be a, a great route. So after I did all that, after spending maybe six months building a route, I went out and you know, the first time I think it went pretty well. I walked away feeling, if I'm being honest, okay about the route. I definitely, you know, it's it's a very good thing that we went out and what I call ground truthing it, you know, whether you ride your bike or drive your car or whatever, but, you know, feet on the ground, boots on the ground, get out there and ground truth it because I relying on heat map data and all the resources available to us, I got us into a trespassing situation 100% unknowingly. It was really crazy. I mean, we were in some BFE, Texas, and uh, it was actually kind of a, a sketchy situation that I would never willingly put myself in. Uh, nothing happened, but I just understand how Texans are. And, you know, you don't have a lot of rights when you're trespassing on somebody's land um, in Texas. So just keep that in mind. It's not a good idea. But again, I was relying on heat map data, so it wasn't even on my radar that I was trespassing. I found out I was trespassing, or we were trespassing, when we came to the backside of a gate and we stopped and I had to walk around the other side of the gate and read the sign that says, uh, no trespassing. And it was a big sign with bold letters and it had a bunch of other words on there too. Super sketchy. I mean, they have video cameras. Anyway, enough of that. Just don't trespass, seriously. But that is why you ground truth. After we did all 380 miles or whatever, I had a lot of pro I didn't have a lot of problems. I had problems I wanted to solve. 
One of them was it was still 50 pavement, 50 gravel, and I wanted to find more gravel. Um, the other one was obviously solving trespassing issues and, um, and then just making the route better. You know, I walked away, I'm like, eh, it needs to be better. And so that's what I did. It's been another probably two or three months going over and just pouring over the maps and put together what I thought could be pretty good. Um, but you never really know. Didn't know if I was going to get this in another trespassing situation, yada, yada, yada. So again, um, about two weekends ago now, so I mean, we're kind of getting down to the wire and uh, keep in mind that I still don't have a route. Uh, but this is why. So we go out a couple weekends ago and I was beside myself with happiness. And I found some roads that I think have not been well discovered. Some even you know new and exciting road for Texans. And for me, I mean, I'm telling you, as I was driving it, I started to become like really jealous about uh, just with excitement. I mean, I guess I was excited and jealous, excited because I'm thinking these guys and girls are going to love this and I'm, I'm happier about it. I'm happier for people to come and ride it. You know, we got two routes and we're, we'll talk more because I'm, I'm still developing the second route, but I can say after that last weekend, the slowdown route is 272 miles. I don't have the exact elevation on me, but obviously we'll be posting it soon. That East Texas slowdown route, 272 miles, is in my opinion, a really fucking good route. And I am so stoked for everybody that gets to go ride it. And I am gonna be booking my trip to go and, um, and, and ride it soon. Uh, maybe we'll do a group ride out of it, or, or maybe I'll just go ride it by myself because I'm a loner. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'll get a wild hair. But anyway, that route is done. It starts at the Bullet Cafe, ends at the Bullet Cafe. You spend most of your time in the Davy Crockett National Forest. Um, I did the, the gravel to pavement for the whole route. I calculated that yesterday at being 65% gravel. And let me tell you, some of the pavement is so good. <laughs> you're, and you're going to be grateful for the pavement because uh, let's talk about surfaces a little bit. The surface type actually surprised me in that it was harder than I remembered it being. And I don't want to make it sound too crazy because, again, you know, worst case scenario, it's a poorly maintained county road or forest road. But they're all legitimate roads. Let's go through some examples. One example might be, you know, in Davy Crockett National Forest, those roads have washed out due to flooding in some areas and they'll come and they'll dump huge gravel rocks that haven't been broke down that are gonna be pretty gnarly to ride through and maybe unrideable if you're on like a gravel bike per se. Um, I, I would say it would be challenging to ride some sections on a gravel bike. Equally challenging would be uh, sand. I'm gonna try to work up some numbers on like maybe percentages of sand, but I don't think it's in excess. You know, if it rains before, I'm hoping it doesn't rain too much before and it, it shouldn't, fingers crossed. But if, it, if we get some rain, there are some sections that I know for a fact, having ridden them are 100% unrideable. So it's a hike a bike and it's a slog too. 
And that's just part of it. But again, you know, I don't think whether it's sand or mud, I mean, if it's mud, it doesn't matter. I guess you're carrying your bike. If it's sand, gravel bike's gonna be tough. For me personally, I ride a, I run a 2.2 inch Maxxis Icon tire. That's my tire of choice. Uh, I find that it works good in, in this type of terrain because you're gonna be on paved surfaces for a while and you're gonna want a, a somewhat fast rolling tire, which I think the Icon is, but you're gonna be on some gnarly gravel at times and you're going to want a little more cushion and you're going to be going through sand or mud at other times and you'll want that displacement that a lot of larger tire can offer now i will say as a caveat i i have two bikes i have a fargo and the chumba right now well i have a road bike and i have a tandem on the way but you know i don't i don't have like a lot of bikes but the two bikes i ride most often they both have the maxis icon 2.2 inch tire so that's kind of the tire I ride. I don't have a lot of experience riding gravel tires, so I can't really speak to them. So let's throw that up as a caveat. I'm speaking from my perspective as a person who doesn't ride a gravel bike, but I've also been riding bikes a long time and I, I think I have a decent idea what I'm talking about. And I'm trying to definitely steer you guys in the right direction. So, all right, the slowdown, very excited about it. And now I am trying to finalize the showdown. And as I've mapped it, uh, so I, you know, I walked away from that one, the slowdown is done. Um, I had that 20, 25 mile section that just, it was, it was like a no, a no go. And there was no, there was a good, re it was just shitty. It was all pavement, it's too populated. So the section I had to cut out was, was on the southern portion of the route. There was more in the Sam Houston National Forest, but honestly, once I got down there, there were just too many people. It's just too populated. It's too close to Conroe, which is too close to Houston and the Woodlands and Willis. And um, they're ju it's just too populated. And again, Texas is sprawled out. And I just, I couldn't, I wasn't happy with it is all, I mean, I could make it work. And honestly, I'm kind of putting more work on myself. Uh, I could have just done it, but um, I, I, I wouldn't have been excited for people to come and ride it. And you kind of, if you throw a party, you want to be excited. So then I had the idea, Patrick, you know, I was thinking to myself, dude, when you went up to Davy Crockett National Forest and I discovered all these new roads a couple weeks ago, why not look there more? I kept looking south. I kept, look, I kept trying to make it look work in Sam Houston. I'm like, dude, look up at Davy Crockett. And so that's what I did. And the biggest difference, I think, is the lack of population. They're just, there's a bunch of small towns and the route will weave in and out of them, but there isn't big population densities. The biggest city is Palestine. And uh, for example, for example, the Grand Gravel uh, route goes in and out of Palestine. I purposely avoided Palestine because to me, it's just too big of a city. And I want to, I want to maximize, you know, when I ride this route and anybody else's experience to be again, away from people out in wilderness and just enjoying some solitude, getting out into rural Texas. So yeah, so avoided Palestine so yeah, that's what I'm doing now is looking at basically a 60 mile um, addition to the route. And 
you'll be able to see quite easily where I added it, but I, I used as much of the slow down route as possible. And then I think it's just missing maybe like a five or 10 mile section up on the north section where the, the added 60-ish miles is gonna go. The one bummer about this loop, and I'm speaking ahead of time, but this is what I'm anticipating, so we'll update y'all with what we actually find. But the one bummer is that it looks like a lot of it is pavement. I found some cool gravel roads, I think, but I think that the pavement is actually pretty cool. There's one section that I'm really excited about. I, I don't know, man. I think that the pavement is gonna be actually kind of cool. And like I said, going into this, you're gonna have a lot of gravel and coming out of this section, you're gonna have a ton of gravel. So it's bookended by some just amazing gravel, beautiful roads, but also they're gonna be more challenging. So I think, um, you know, maybe some people will get on these paved roads that are in the middle of nowhere and it'll be a nice respite. And uh, anyway, but we're gonna check those out today. And um, that's essentially what we're doing. As the route sits right now, in terms of the showdown route, it's sitting at 361 miles. That's the other thing I'm gonna look to do because I advertise it as 388. And not that it needs to be 388, but you know, people signed up for 388, I'm gonna try to give them 388 miles. So the other thing I'll be looking to do today is hopefully discovering stuff I couldn't find online whether that be a better alternative to what I, I have routed or whether it be adding on more mileage. So anyway, I will catch up with y'all in a little while. Let's see, that killed some time and I'm 20 minutes away from the start of this new reroute that I'm working. So gotta be honest, I'm pretty excited to see what's there and. I'm also, also a little nervous because, I mean, if it's not good, then I've got a problem. You know, if it's not good, what I might do is just tell everyone, sorry, it's going to be a 272-mile race. Everyone's doing the same one. You can go fast or slow and uh, because that's a damn good route. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, all right, let's see what we got, though. I'm not, not giving up hope yet. I think I, I think we have a good option, so we're gonna find out. Catch up with y'all a little bit. Get my GPS going so I know where I'm going. Gosh darn it! All right, so I just wrapped up checking out a a reroute to complete the East Texas Showdown, and it went really, really well. So I'm in a good mood. And I got to uh, just thinking as I've been driving out here that one of my goals with you know, creating this event, creating the race, the, the whole reason behind doing this was really to create something that I wanted, uh, a route that I would like to ride, um, the type of race that I would like to participate in. And, you know, I think that's, I talk about it all the time, but I think that's one of the great things about uh, bike packing, ultra endurance cycling, you know, bike camping, any of that stuff that it lends itself to creativity and individualism. And so this route is very much a reflection of, 
of me and the type of writing that I like, uh, the types of places that I would like to see, the types of roads I would like to ride. It's actually like a reflection of me as I got to thinking about it. And one thing for me, it's intentionally a, you know, quote unquote, shorter race for an ultra race. And I don't even know if this qualifies as ultra, but it's certainly uh, self-supported solo uh, bike packing. And it'll follow the same ethos as the Tour Divide, the CTR, the Arizona Trail Race. There's not going to be any prizes, but, you know, we are going to, instead of there just being nothing at the end of the event, we're going to have a party. And that's one of the nice things about having a shorter route is that it allows you to start it and finish it in a window where most people, I think, I mean, I've never done this before. It's just an idea I've had. So we're going to find out here in about 35 days. But my intention is that most people will be able to complete it. Um, we're going to roll out and then we're going to meet back at the Bullet Grill there in Point Blank, Texas at 8 p.m. on Sunday. And that'll be kind of like my headquarters. My vision is that I'll be there and interviewing people and sharing content as they come in. I also want to be out on the route, catching up with people as they're racing, but not getting in their way, um, certainly. There's currently already two events that are in this similar area, um, but it's not surprising with the lack of public, public land in Texas, you know, adventure cyclists, gravel cyclists, we're going to look to the more remote places. And if you live in Bryan, Texas, 50 minutes away is the Sam Houston National Forest. And it's a part of a almost contiguous swath of land, uh, national forest land that connects up with the Davy Forest, uh, Davy Crockett National Forest. And it's just a beautiful area with uh, a ton of pine trees, very green. Uh, it's quite beautiful. And so obviously we're gonna gravitate towards that area. And, you know, th so there's one route, the El Camino 105, and I think they have a 200 mile route as well. I participated in that one one time and I think I only made it 82 miles or something. It was uh, hot and I got myself on the struggle bus. But, you know, they utilize some of the same roads that I use on, on this route. Uh, also the Grand Gravel 500 that I did that's done by um, Billy Rice, um, also locally. Something that appeals to me is prioritizing the most remote rural roads away from people as much as possible, only dipping into the smallest resupply points. Um, sometimes, you know, questionable as if they're open. Um, I do think that there's going to need to be some areas of this race where uh, people are really going to need to pay attention to their resupply points. And um, we'll be talking more about those specifically. And I also, by, by a factor of being very busy with my job and being a single dad, there is very, very limited time for training. Um, my kids are still pretty young. They're kind of getting to the age where I can leave the oldest with the youngest for like an hour and squeak in a ride. But, you know, I mean, it's kind of just because you can doesn't mean you always should dip out on your kids. I don't always, you know, feel right about dipping out on them and going for a ride. And we'll oftentimes obviously choose to prioritize my time with them. And, you know, maybe we go on a family bike ride, but it's certainly not a training ride. 
again, in my mind, I wanted to create an event that would be accessible to a, a wide variety of people. So a shorter route, um, and there are two routes for this, uh, for these Texas showdown. There's a showdown and the slowdown, and we'll talk about that as well too. But, you know, the appeal of shorter routes is that it makes it uh, accessible to a, a variety of people, a lot more people that are busy with jobs and families and work and, you know, just all the things and, and trying to stay alive from a virus and all the, all the fun things that we um, have thrown at us. The other neat thing about, I think, a shorter race like this, I made the distance on the showdown. I was going for close to 400 miles. I don't want to know what the final mileage will be. We might be around 362, and I'm going to try to add on a little bit more, but we'll see what the final mileage is. But the reason I picked that distance was because I wanted for the fast people to be in a a situation where they're going to have to make a decision on what kind of kit they want to bring. And I fully anticipate that, I don't know if it'll be this year or when, but I anticipate at some point some people are going to show up with no sleep kits, very little gear, and just go with no sleep. Um, it's totally doable to, to this is, the elevation isn't too bad. Um, the roads are mostly rideable, you know, it's there for people that want to do that. It's, there's a challenge for people who live for that challenge and, and push themselves in those kinds of ways. For me, if I was going to go and do a race right now at this stage of my life, I would 100% sign up for the slowdown route. It's 272 miles. I think you'd easily, well, I won't say easily, but it's, it's definitely a three-day route. And for most people... If you, I think I, I calculated that if you average 10 miles an hour and you sleep six hours a night, you can finish it in like 44 hours or something completely reasonable. Maybe it was a little bit longer than that. I shouldn't do math exactly. But, um, you know, again, for someone like me, that is going to be a challenge. That would be um, a, a big motivator for me to train towards, to work towards, to push myself and, and that's my hope, that I feel fill that void as well and is appealing to a wider audience. So we'll, we'll definitely see who uh, shows up and how it all unfolds. But the route is going to be there for all to enjoy. Speaking of that, I fully intend to make this route, especially, I'll make both routes public, but I am going to talk to bikepacking.com about trying to get the slowdown route published on bikepacking.com with some great information, information, pictures, all that that you would expect from bikepacking.com because I'm really proud of it. And I don't mean to uh, brag, but I kind of surprised myself. Um, I know how hard it is to find what I found. Again, not trying to sound braggadocious. I mean, it, it's not impossible, but it, it takes a lot of work because just the way Texas is laid out, it is difficult to get away from people. With the priority of, of being as remote and out in the wilderness and feeling like you're really on an adventure, that you can't just go and you know knock on somebody's door if something goes wrong. I 
I was seeking that out. And by that metric, I am really excited. The other thing that um, I'm very excited about specifically, well, I'm really excited about the amount of gravel roads and the roads that aren't gravel are some of the coolest and funnest, just, uh, I don't know, man, they're paved roads, but they're, I think they're going to be fun and they're pretty. And there's some of them that'll take you to, there's one in particular I'm thinking of on it's Lake, Lake Jackson. And it's this crazy neighborhood that you can tell it's just a hodgepodge. They've got some, I don't know how many million dollar houses and then they've got a trailer. Then they've got, you know, a nice little shack or whatever, but it's this huge lake. And this one paved road goes through this quote unquote development, but the road is barely a road. And to me, again, this is a reflection of me is I, uh, I find that interesting to see the way people live. And, and I think throughout that, that was another goal of mine is, is to introduce people to Texas and even Texans, you know, introduce them to maybe a side of Texas that they're not familiar with or haven't seen before. And as you ride through and experiences, experience these different pockets of demographics, um, you're going to see the different way in which people live out in rural East Texas. And I, I think it's interesting. Um, I could say a lot about that, but um, I will say for now that that I do find it interesting to uh, observe those things as you ride through a place. I do think it helps to like tell the story, but then I like to really hop back into the woods and maybe you think about those things or you just get lost in your own thoughts. Um, that's where the real magic happens. And so, yeah, I've, I, you know, another thing I wanted to mention about all this is that I have only done one race in my entire, one bikepacking race in my entire life. I've done a handful of gravel races, like a few, I don't even know. And I, you know, I used to do some mountain bike racing. I, I did a lot more mountain bike racing than anything. But once I got out of that race, I, when I got out of racing, that's when I kind of got out of mountain biking and I got out of competition and got more into you know, going pro slow and enjoying the view and going camping and taking your time in the morning. And, um, but still I get that desire to push my own self, uh, and to find my limits and to just really, man, sometimes it's good to have an excuse to go and train, um, and something to really motivate you. And I think that, uh, for me, I'm very motivated to get out and, and ride this route personally. So, you know, my race experience is very limited and I, it's one of those things where you, you have an idea and, you know, I like my idea. I like the concept of the, the length of the race. I like the concept of, you know, all getting together for a beer and a burger afterwards and, you know, talking about and hearing stories from know people from all over texas or people about their experiences on the race um, I, I think that is going to be really fun and um, you know so i like i like the idea about it but it's one of those things where i i definitely invited people to a party before i really knew what the party was going to be and you know especially now as we get closer i'm starting to think about 
don't know, man, all the stuff, registration, waivers, and uh, tracker signups, and t-shirts, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, and getting media there, and, you know, it's becoming real, and I'm also realizing that I have no idea what I'm doing, and I, I it's, it's not because I'm a dummy, I mean, I think I'm really excited about the route, I think it's good, but... I don't have the experience that a lot of people have that they would draw on from their racing background. And I think we'll find out, I guess, if that's good or not. I'm essentially doing it my way. I'm like, hey, this is the way I would do it. And that's probably a good, good rule of thumb in life is to be your own path and not just follow somebody else's. Unless it's a good established path and, uh, you know, at least a good place or whatever. But anyway, I'm not going to get too into the weeds with philosophy trying to talk about bikes so with that said i mean i am looking forward to really getting everybody's feedback i cannot wait to hear what people think about the route and not because i'm overly optimistic i uh even if it's bad i want to know you know if, if you know someone drives in from iowa or something to to ride it and the way that I presented it, the way I marketed it, or, or whatever, um, maybe misled them, and maybe they really didn't like it at all, um, and, and I could learn from that, you know, but, or people, they can like it, maybe they'll have ideas on ways we can improve it, I think all these are, are things that I'm very excited about, and I'm looking forward to the most, uh, from you know, up until now, it's been my little project that I've been working on for, I mean, at least a year now. And I'm excited. I think it's good, though. What else do we need to talk about? Another consideration that I had on the route was was dogs. Now, dogs go with people. So the more you stay away from people, the more you stay away from dogs. And obviously you can't completely stay away from people, as I've already said, but um, certainly cutting down on it makes a big difference. And uh, try to be very mindful of, of, you know, not putting people in unsafe situations in any way, whether it's, you know, lack of food, lack of water, lack of shelter, lack of place to camp, the roads, the traffic, all, all the stuff, the dogs, I mean, Tell you what, putting together a route is a lot of work. And I'm not, I mean, just for anyone that does it, you never, you don't really realize that one of this link, it's a big puzzle, you know, you're just trying to link it all together. At least again in Texas where I live, that's all I can speak to, it is it is a booger to put together some good remote routes without a bunch of people. So we were mindful of the dogs, but I can't control every single dog and so my advice i think the best thing to do that i've found with dogs is if i see a dog coming at me i will point my bike right at him and i will get big and i'll go get back home get back home and i'll go right at him and get mad at him and they're always like what the what is going on here i don't understand and they won't always run away. They don't usually run away, but they'll back down and they'll sit on their hind legs and they'll just look at you until you pass usually. Now, 
that's where if they come after you then and they got you at a slight disadvantage, I've been known to uh, pop them on top of the head with my uh, with my shoe. Uh, you know, if they're if they're nipping my, my at my heels, I I think that's the move. Now I will say that Sarah tried that technique once, and the end result was she got a nasty gash in her leg that really needed stitches, but she opted to just keep riding because she's tough. Yeah, so, you know, make your own decision out there. But that's my thought on the dogs. We were mindful of it. I don't know what else I can say about the 70 miles other than it was, I guess what I can say is it was way better than I was expecting. I thought it was going to be pretty good, but there was a lot more specifically red dirt roads, which are my personal favorite. The only disadvantage of red dirt is when it rains, it's that clay, muddy stuff that can get very up in your drivetrain, up in your business, up in your brakes. And, uh, you know, pray for no rain. It was actually surprising how little I was able to tell what was what was a dirt road on satellite view and what was a uh, paved road. I went through and tried to mark the roads that I thought were paved in dirt and I was way off. Again, it really speaks to ground truthing and it going out there. Oh, that's another thing I wanted to mention though is uh, in, terms of, in terms of accessibility, one thing that I am going to do is be putting out uh, points of interest like you know, some resupply points, some camping sections, um, you know, again, uh, trying to make it more accessible. Maybe people are just busy. You know, I think people are really busy. I am. I'm so busy. Um, and I, I, I can't think that I'm the only one. I have a feeling a lot of people work really hard and are super busy and don't have time necessarily to take, take a route, look at it, find all the resupply points, you know, and that, and that requires, you know, clicking on, okay, this grocery store, okay, what are their hours? All right, well, I probably should have another option. When is this subway open? And, you know, you, you'd have to go and essentially build a, a route. Now, if the POIs are already there, some of them, I'm not putting all of them, but I'm, I'm gonna put some there. You have a starting point. And if you have an idea of the mileage you want to cover, you know, maybe there's a uh, a campsite that I have marked that looks good, you can kind of start to work on a plan. And again, making it a little bit easier to get out there and go ride your damn bike and and enjoy the ride um, and not worry as much about, you know, all the things and you know, I'm, I'm maybe accused of kind of taking away some of the, you know, the core tenets of bike packing, um, but I, I'm also okay with that. I'm prioritizing making it accessible to more people. I, I'm, I'm in the you know, quote unquote business. I, I, I believe in growing the community. I, it's something I believe in. And I think to do that, making it easier for people is a great way to do it. But I want it, I don't want it to be the end all be all. I think that we're all on a, a journey and this will work for some people at, at some stage in their journey and it won't necessarily work for others. And, and I think that's, that's just the way the world works and that's totally fine. 
the other thing is you can turn off POIs. It's a it's a personal choice how you approach this race or or any race. I would assume you know. I mean you uh, you could go in completely blind, completely underprepared, or you could you know that's really the only difference is like if you have the time to create all the POIs and all that stuff. I mean the route is the same for everybody. So then it just becomes taking the time to go and do all those things, create all those POIs and start to build a plan. So the more that I think about it, I really feel like I just kind of help people, you know, get to that same place faster. And, you know, I don't know what people think about that, but again, I'm kind of just uh, winging it and do it in my way and uh, we'll see how it all works out. Another note, I had originally published that this route would be, could be written in either direction, clockwise or counterclockwise. And I've decided to only run it one direction. It's gonna be run run clockwise. And I had to think about that for a second, yes, clockwise. And for no other reason than I think just simplicity. I think it'll make it easier for me as a race director to keep track of it. Uh, maybe to follow follow it, and um, I feel like I have a lot on my plate already with creating a new route and a new event. I want it to be good, and for me, I just feel like adding another direction adds a layer of complexity that I don't personally, I'm not ready for it. You know, sorry if that's what you were wanting to do, and listen, if you want to ride it backwards, I'm not going to go out there and stop you, but I'm going to promote that it's all run one way and uh but hell do whatever you want to do i don't care i think i care i care a little i care about y'all i hope that you have a really great ride that's what i mostly care about is that i want people to have fun if you're not from texas i hope you have a good experience and I hope that you enjoy seeing a side of Texas that I don't even think many Texans know are there. People don't seek out the, you know, national forest and the really rural stuff because there isn't a lot of stuff developed out there. Not a lot of campsites. There's not a lot of like overlooks and uh, river rafting guides or, you know, all this stuff. I mean, it's just rural roads and forest roads. And so for a lot of people, it, it's probably not that appealing, um, but for a adventure cyclist, I mean, it's it's almost perfect. So that's what I hope. I hope everybody has a great time. I hope everybody is safe. I hope they enjoy the ride, most importantly. And that, again, means any way you want to ride it, whether you want to go slow and take pictures whether you want to go fast and not pee and not sleep and push yourself to the limits. To the limit one more time. I love those people. I love to interview them. Y'all know I have them on my show all the time, so I'm not trying to be a, I'm not trying to down them or anything. Uh, probably not come across like that, but I love the people that push. And I hope that maybe... I hope my vision for myself is that once the kids are grown up and, uh, you know, at some stage, whenever I can actually get away and go on some major training rides, 
um, or I get a living nanny or something, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to being like a shredded older dude that is just, just out there crushing it in my own way, whatever that means. Uh, just going far, going wide, going all over the damn place. Um, so yeah, I don't remember how I got on that tangent. Yeah, I get. I guess I was just talking about people riding it however they want to ride it and enjoying it and pushing themselves any any way you see fit. And I'm, oh yeah, I was talking about the fast people. Yeah, so I mean, I'm looking forward to see it. I love to see people push themselves. I love to see what um, what the human body is capable of and the mind, the human spirit, all those things. Humans are amazing. We don't give ourselves an opportunity to show ourselves and prove to ourselves how truly incredible we are. And uh, in many ways, we're weak, you know, but uh, in, in some ways we are strong. And one thing we're good at is endurance. We are really good at going long distances um, at a slow pace. But hey, man, we get there compared to other people, other, you know, the animal kingdom at large, we're kind of slow. It is the thing that, or it is one of the things I'll say that drew me into bikepacking was that, that finding your limits. I think I've always been attracted to endeavors where, and I've talked about this on the podcast once with Rebecca Rush, like adventure, uh, oh, eco challenge. Um, man, I was ate up with those. I have them all recorded on VHS. You know, I've always been fascinated with people who push uh, themselves to their their limits, you know, and push themselves past where maybe no one has ever gone or they're just pushing the limits of time or sleep deprivation. I'm fascinated by all that stuff. Um, but again, it's not always practical for everybody. So the slowdown, which I equally love. You know, I could go either way. And most times I'm, I go the slow down. You know, most times that's my route is I just like, I, I love taking pictures. I am addicted to photography. Ever since I got, I keep getting better and better cameras. And um, God, it is a fun craft that I have just become ate up with it. And so whenever I see something, I try to capture it. And I see a lot of pretty things and I try to take a lot of pictures and you know, a big part of, you know, photography is, you know, at least for me is I'm still not very good at it. So it probably takes me longer and I'm, I'm practicing and probably taking more pictures than I probably need to. And so I'm quite slow on a bike these days, but I'm prioritizing the thing that makes me happy. And for now, the thing that makes me happy is getting on my bike, getting lost in the wilderness getting lost in my mind and, and riding according to however I feel. I, I don't like the, the whole clock thing most of the time. And I do this on my day rides. I will rarely have a plan. I might have like a loose plan, um, but I just get on my bike and I ride according to however I feel. And sometimes I feel like going fast. Not very often, you know, and sometimes I'll do an interval up a hill uh, sometimes I'll take a lot of pictures and sometimes I'll just kind of get lost in my mind and think about everything. And sometimes I won't think about anything. And 
I don't put any pressure on myself in any way. And, and if you're on a, a time limit, if you're racing per se, you can, uh, you definitely lose that. And, and that's the main focus. And then it's, it's only about, you know, pushing yourself and, and, and finding those limits. And so, again, I, I'm attracted to both of those things, but I think the, the, the slowdown aspect definitely plays more into where I'm at in my life right now. And again, I love it. So it's not a bad thing. It's definitely a good thing. And um, can't say it enough, that slowdown route is sweet. If the day didn't work out with that extra 70 miles, there was a good chance that I was going to just turn it all into the slowdown route. But um, I saved I saved it. it. It happened. All right. I think that's it for now. I'm rambled on enough. But I will hop on when and if I think of anything else. I probably will. But I'm going to continue to try to provide information about the route. Uh, feel free to ask questions. And uh, let's make this a good, safe, fun event. Oh, I wanted to talk about interacting with Texans. If you're coming from out of town and, and maybe you have a, an image of, of what a Texan is, I'm probably not the best representation. I, although I've been here my whole life, I don't think I've ever quite fit in here exactly. Uh, there's certainly a lot of Texan things about me. How could there not be? But uh, yeah, I may not be the uh, you know typical Texan, but I know how to blend in really well. And so I'm going to give you some tips. Texans will pretty much leave you alone. I have ridden bikes in these forests, on these roads for years. And there's only been two times anyone's, you know, one person like cold rolled me once and I one person threw a Coke at me once and they missed. I mean, but overall, Texans just mind their own business and they just go about and leave each other alone. They don't really want to be bothered too much. It's kind of that thing, I've heard this said before, I'm trying to, let's see if I can get it right. People in the Northeast are kind, but not polite. And people in the South are polite, but not kind. I think that's it. And, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of kind Texans out there, but maybe not taken too kindly to strangers. And especially out, you know, in some of these areas where they're just not gonna be expecting to see, you know, maybe a hippie on a bike or anyone on a bike. They're just not gonna be, you're, once you get out there, I'm sending y'all out into the most nether regions of Texas that I could find. You know, I'm sending you to the most rural and remote areas possible. And if you come across, hopefully you don't come across that many people out there, but if you do, you know, they're gonna be surprised to see you, not expecting you. And what I always do is I just kind of give a little smile and a wave and I just keep on going. And that lets them know you're friendly, you mean no harm, and you're okay. And you don't need any help, you know? And uh, my safety protocol 
Um, first of all, I'm not out there to shoot the shit with every, you know, Joe, Bill and Bob that comes across. When I do, I actually had one today that I was photographing um, a railroad track that was really neat. And, uh, but he stopped and chatted me up about how he loves, you know, he lived there for 33 years and he loves being next to the train and how uh, whenever he hears the train coming, he'll go down there by the tracks and just sit there and drink a beer and watch watch the train, you know, and just a real nice guy. And that, that was it. And he drove off and I told him I was taking pictures and it was really pretty. And <clears throat> you, he went on his way. And I would expect that would be how most uh, interactions go. If you, you know, the ones that you have, if you have any, is they'll be short, sweet. They'll probably be a little bit curious. I'll, I've been asked a couple of times, what are you doing out here? You know, and I'll kind of just laugh and be like, well, believe it or not, I'm riding my bike and I'm going to go camp in the woods here off, you know, in some way or, you know, tell them whatever you want. Be like, I'm, you know, meeting up with a friend over there, you know, whatever. And yeah, I know it's weird, but I'm one of those crazy people out here riding my bike in the middle of the middle of the night or whatever. Anyway, I've had those conversations a couple of times and that's all they really ever are. Uh, But most of the time that's that's rare. You know, that's that's the rarity. Most of the time people just leave you alone. And at the same time, they kind of want to be left alone. So, for example, I don't want to say this in a bad way. I prefer not to. I wouldn't think that I could just go up to any, walk in up to any person's front door and knock on it and just expect a, a, a warm welcome. I don't know how it is in other parts of the world because I've never lived anywhere except for Texas. Maybe that's the way it is everywhere. But, you know, here, I just, I don't want someone coming up to my door in the middle of the day, I'm like, who the fuck is knocking on my door at whatever, whatever time it is. I just never expect someone to knock on my door without telling me they're coming. Uh, and maybe that's just normal social product protocol these days, but, uh, that's just, that's just the way it is here. And, um, yeah, I mean, you go into a, a general store. I popped into really tiny towns out here where they got, you know, I went into, Van's grocery store earlier today. Van wasn't there, um, but there was a lady there who's I was cattywonka, which is fine. I don't say anything bad about her. She was very nice, very nice. She'd only been there a week, and we talked about uh, the store and when her hours were, and um, I kind of surveyed their offerings and let her know about the race and. She just thought that was fine. You know, she just thought that was fine. They'd be on the lookout for you. Uh-huh. Yep. So uh, just real nice people, you know, out here. Polite, but maybe not too kind. Maybe they'll talk shit about what you when you leave, but, you know, they'll just talk shit. That's another thing I was thinking. That I think Texas, now back in the day, those were some badass motherfuckers. There's no doubt about it. But I got to be honest. I've been friends with all kinds of Texans, you know, roughnecks, rednecks, poor, rich, Hispanic, black. It doesn't matter. I mean, I feel like a lot of it is more bark than bite. That's what I think. I think Texas like that bravado of being a Texan and being tough. And I think they like to identify with that rust rustic masculinity but god man i'll tell you what most of them are fucking driving around and 
70, $80,000 trucks, you know, they walk 10 feet to their deer blind. I don't know. It's there, there's not a lot of these real rough cowboys left. There are real cowboys, but it's, it's not what it used to be. I think about a real cowboy, man. I think about working, working a big ranch, and, you know, driving cattle and fixing fences and welding and probably rodeo in on the weekend all that stuff and tell you what texans and these modern day cowboys no offense i mean listen i think we as a civilization we really enjoy our our creature comforts and uh cowboys worked really hard for a long time i'll tell you what happened is a lot of those cowboys that worked for a long time and ranched and farmed oil happened and that's why you see them all driving these really expensive trucks and you will on this route see, you know, in the middle of nowhere, you will see some ginormous houses with game fences that cost, you know, $12,000 per foot to build or some astronomical number. And that's probably what happened. They either, you know, I know one guy who made a lot of money selling uh, cattle genetics he breed he bred some of real fancy apparently Brahmin cows, and people were paying tens of thousands of dollars just for the sperm from his cattle, so that they could reproduce from that lineage. Which I don't understand, but this guy is buku rich, so I guess that's an option too. But a lot of them oil, 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 and when they got that oil money. A lot of them built houses and they built fences and uh, they're just sitting back and enjoying the good old days. So not all of them. Um, it's hard to generalize, you know, but I'm trying to paint a picture here. All about painting pictures. Man, what else? All right, well, I can ramble, that's for sure. That's another hour there. Oh, the temperature. Okay, before we talk about the temperature, let's talk about why this time of year. Why this time of year for a few, several reasons. One, the Grand Gravel 500 is usually like in the spring. I didn't want to compete, you know, with, with during his same you know, time slot or whatever. I just thought it was more respectful to do it in the fall. With doing it in the fall and being on public land, you have to be aware of hunters. Speaking of hunters, that is going to be the primary use for our, you know, again, in Texas, for our, our Texas public lands will be for mostly hunting. So I didn't want to do this during hunting season, which I believe I need to look at it. It changes every year, but I believe it starts the weekend after this race. And so it was literally the latest that I could could do it. And then the other consideration is, you know, the heat. It is really hot and really humid today. I haven't looked up the temperature, but easily the heat index was in the hundred, in the, you know, at least a hundred or above. Lately, it's been like around 106, 107 lately. You know, we're only a month and a handful of days out. My hope is that the, the highs are like we could get anything, you know, we could really, that's, that's, 
that's a time period in Texas where usually it's going to be on the hotter side, but the nights are going to cool down and that'll get, that'll give you some relief. It'll start cooling down earlier. It'll stay cooler later in the day. Um, whereas, you know, in the heat of the summer, you know, as soon as that sun is up or anytime that sun is up, it's, it's just torturous to be outside. Maybe not torturous, but it's pretty brutal. I don't want to get quoted on the average temperatures, but I remember looking them up and the average high was in the 80s and the average low was in the low 70s, I believe, or maybe it was in the mid 60s. But not really, you know, I looked at it, you know, just looking back at Casa Historical, I'm like, that's not bad, you know. Um, but we'll see what happens. It's all also a time of year where it could uh, we could get some fall showers uh, or yeah the end of summer showers. We could get rain. It could be here's the weather. <laughs> it could be hot. It's not. It's probably not going to be cold, but it could be pretty decent. Could be humid. Will definitely be humid. Sorry. It could be raining. There could be a hurricane. Could be windy, could be calm. It's hard to say. Depends on if you know the storm rolling in or whatever. Yeah. So plan well. Plan accordingly based on what the weather forecast looks like. I think that's all I can say about time, place, weather. All right. That's it. Peace out. All right. I am back in Banner Death. Uh, almost a week to the day since I was last recording. Essentially, I've <clears throat> completed, I don't know, probably 85, 90% of the route so far for the showdown. Um, you'll know that the slowdown is complete and ready to roll. The last section I did was on the northernmost portion of the route, uh, north of the Davy Crockett National Forest. This section is gonna be a little 40 mile section that's gonna be on the southernmost portion of the route. And this part will be in and around the Sam Houston National Forest area. And again, this part will not be on the slowdown. This will be bonus miles for people going the full meal deal on the showdown. And there's a, a little bit of a criminal element to this uh, addition that was necessitated by the reroute itself. Originally, I had this route. Oh, good. There's a passing lane. These people, look, I'm, I'm pro slow, okay? I actually got new license plates on order for the van, for the van that say pro slow. It's pretty dope. I'm excited. So if I think you're going slow in my refrigerator box on wheels, you're going really slow. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah, we were talking about this darn lake here. Lake Livingston. So originally the route was gonna loop all the way around Lake Livingston, but that's where I ran into my issues and that's what caused the, the major reroute. So instead of being able to go that direction, I was forced to bring the route right past the bullet grill where the start and stop line is. So I think the real showdown is gonna happen in your soul because at this point you'll have ridden probably 320 miles 
I'm assuming that unless you're one of the first people, you know, people will start to gather and congregate there. I'll probably be there to uh, uh, say hi, wave, take a picture as you pass by. And of course, there'll be some burgers and cold beers and a lot of temptations to stop, you know. So I'm going to be curious um, how riders and racers uh, deal with that that showdown uh, in their own soul and if they'll be able to push for that last 40 miles or not. So again, a little criminal element. I didn't uh, intend for that to be that way, um, but I did want to get some more Sam Houston National Forest. There's some roads that I'm trying to, actually I'm trying to link up to my, I mean, I'm like, I don't know, there's so many good ones, but just a damn good road in the Sam Houston National Forest. So um, that is what I, I want to link up to. And we're gonna go check that out today. It's only 40 miles. I'm driving to the Bullet Grill and hoping to chit chat with uh, Chris there, the owner. And I'll tell you what, when you throw a party or invite people to a party and the, you know, the details aren't all ironed out, it can be rather stressful. I'm now trying to get track leaders going and waivers sent out and switching people's reservations and t-shirts, prizes raffle items, stickers, merchandise to sell, uh, make sure the route's good, produce a prod podcast, all the stuff, man. You just, uh, yeah, well, what, what I was saying is that Chris and I haven't, Chris, the owner of the Bullet Grill, and I haven't had a chance to, uh, to touch base in a while. The first time I brought this on his radar was probably about six or seven months ago, and I just rolled through, asked if, you know, I, I called him beforehand and asked for a meeting and kind of laid out what I was thinking because most people aren't familiar with people riding their bikes for 300 plus miles. And so first you have to wrap their head around this whole idea and, and then you can kind of pitch what this will look like from, you know, his perspective as a business owner. But, you know, he agreed to it. And then I went about finalizing the route and getting people registered and stuff. But that was the last time he and I really really talked. We've uh, sent a couple emails back and forth, but uh, yeah, we're, I think today's 29 days till race day. So we are getting down to the wire. Um, but I do, I don't know how other race directors do. Again, I've only been to one. There was a pre-ride meeting, I think the week before, maybe a month before. Um, and I found that to be pretty helpful. So I kind of thought I'd do it in my own way and, and just do it as a pod, podcast format and talked about whatever comes to mind. Trying to think about anything else that's come up questions wise. Okay, so I've been getting questions about switching your registration from the showdown to the slowdown. I, don't, I haven't had anybody that wants to switch from the slowdown to the showdown, but I have a feeling that people are probably behind on their training is my guess uh, due to heat. We do have people coming from all over, uh, one maybe from Canada. I just found out about, we have, uh, you know, people coming from all over the United States and, and, and uh, a couple of people from abroad, but uh, most people are, are coming from, you know, Texas or this, uh, this Southern region where it is still fucking high. I went out for a ride yesterday. I rode, uh, you know, I started about seven and rode through the, or into the night. And, you know, it, it was 
kind of cool, but it was still so humid uh, and muggy. Uh, but yeah, during the day, it's just brutally hot, making it really tough to train. Train So I don't know. I'm curious. Maybe uh, we'll get some comments on this epi- episode and y'all can tell me what your... Uh... Oh, I just had an idea. We should do a live Facebook pre-race meeting. Yeah. That would be good. So I'll put out this podcast and then any questions I don't answer, we'll, we'll do a Facebook live and, and that way I can answer those questions. Okay. That's a good idea. That way that takes some pressure off me for making sure I cover every single little detail. And this isn't a five hour podcast and I can just get directly to your questions which could negate the whole need for this whole entire podcast, but uh, I've already put in too much time, so it's happening now. If you're registered for either race, I don't really care which one you participate in. Even if you sign up at the start line of the slowdown and you're like, I'm doing the slowdown, I'm registered at the slowdown, my spot tracker says I'm the slowdown, but if you get up to mile, God, I don't know, 230, 240, whatever it is, and there's that turnoff to get the extra bonus 70 miles and, and you're feeling frisky and you want to go after it, do it, you know? Likewise, if uh, you are on the showdown and you get to that junction uh, and you're not feeling it, take, take the slowdown route, you know? It's, it's a beautiful route. No need to put any extra pressure on yourself. Make it your own race. Enjoy it however you want to enjoy it. I do like that there's options out there for people and you can make that call on the fly. Additionally, if you are registered as something, but you already know ahead of time that you want to be in the slowdown or the showdown category, when you sign up for your spot tracker, uh, just sign up for, there's an option for slowdown or showdown. So whatever one you want to do, just click that button and that's fine. Uh, No one is going to be policing that. You know, this, I mean, it's just, just me guys. So, uh, there's no one going to stop you from just going out and riding your damn bike and and enjoying yourself. Try not to get too, you know, official. Um, I want it to be organized and and a good route and I want y'all to have fun, but, um, you know, that's it. No pressure. Just go and ride some bikes. Coming into Huntsville. Yeah. So this is, we're getting into some, uh, East Texas Piney Woods here, coming up on I-45, about to head over, dip over into Sam Houston National Forest on the, getting close to the start of the route. Uh, okay, okay, what else? I know there's some people wanting to ride on 40C tires, and I've never ridden on 40C tire. The first bikepacking trip I ever did, I ended up in Sam Houston National Forest. A lot of it was on pavement, maybe like 30% was on gravel. Yeah, I did that on 28C tires on a carbon road bike. So, you know, anything's possible. Just pick whatever bike you want to ride and that's the one you got, you know? It's like anything else, there's gonna be challenging parts, there's gonna be parts that are easy and, you know, there's gonna be times where you might, might wish you had a fat bike and other times you might wish you had a fast bike, so. I'll tell you what, with a, I guess the way I would say it with a 2.2 inch tire, I would think that this route is 99% rideable if it doesn't rain and it's a complete mud fest in some sections, in which case everyone will be walking and then it won't matter. So I'm going to get on this route 
hopefully it's good and that's it. You know, once, once this last little section is done, I can check it off and I can send it out to everybody. I know that's really the thing that everybody wants is the fucking route. I get it. And, uh, I do apologize, but I'm kind of taking you through the process here and just letting you know that you got a first time race director doing his best, uh, making some mistakes and learning along the way. But um, like I said, it's 29 days till race day. My goal was to get this to you uh, 30 days out. But I mean, I think after today, I, you know, I'm going to finish the route today. That's all there is to it. I'm going to stay out there. I'm going to look for roads. Um, if the route I've got picked out isn't good, then um, I'll stay out there and find them. But um, after I get home today, I will be finalizing the route and sending it out. Um, yeah, either tonight or tomorrow. So that's the main thing people want. I don't blame you, but I couldn't, can't put it out till it's done. And, uh, so I'm working on it. I will check in with y'all later. All right, everybody. Welcome back to my home studio. The route was finalized and sent out about 10 days ago. And we are now about 22 days from race day. I just wanted to close the loop on what happened there with that last section I was scouting. Um, it essentially went off without a hitch. Exactly what I routed is the route that we are going to use. And uh, it's going to be a little bit of a diabolical section on the route. I'm super curious to see how people are going to tackle that last 40 miles because, um, as I mentioned, around mile 320, you're going to ride right past the bullet grill with, you know, everything you could want there. Your car will probably be there. There will be uh, some of your friends maybe there, a beer, a burger, some good food, etc. So that'll be a real test. You know, are you going to cave into the creature comforts and join all your friends and call it good or are you going to keep on going so uh i'm interested to see how people are going to take to that i heard there was a uh like a chat room or a text thread where people were uh discussing that with great fervor and i don't know exactly what they were saying but i'm guessing part of it wasn't good but again the original route didn't have that the reroute is what necessitated that little new feature and uh, maybe it won't be there in 2022. I don't know. We'll see how it goes this year. But um, I'm looking forward to it. See what y'all think. All right. Well, listen, since the route has gone out, I have got some questions. And uh, I thought I would go ahead and answer some of those here, just in case anybody else had the same questions. So one of them is, is there a cutoff time? Okay, so there is no cutoff time. We are going to meet back at the Bullet Grill at 8 p.m. on Sunday. And I've designed this to where I think that most people will be done and be able to make it there. That, that's the hope. But, and maybe it's something that you can like shoot for, but it's not required. If you want to stay out there for two weeks and ride, you can. No one's going to kick you off. It was designed so everyone could hopefully or, or most people would be able to get back and uh, enjoy a little post-ride celebration and bring some of the community in to bikepacking events. Um, but certainly no rush. That's exactly why I created a slowdown route. So you can go out and take it as slow as you want. 
Next question, is support allowed? That's a tough one. I wasn't expecting this question. This is certainly a bikepacking event. It is uh, the exact same as a Tour Divide, uh, Arizona Trail Race, a Colorado Trail. It holds to the same ethos and principles and guidelines that those do. This is a solo self-supported event. It may differ in that I am trying to provide more resources, more information than maybe some other events don't offer. It's a shorter route that makes it accessible to a lot more people. Um, and we're going to have a party and a get together at the end and all kind of come together and share stories and talk about our adventures and stuff like that. But that is on either end of the race. The race itself, when you're out there, you are on your own. There is no sag wagon. There is no support vehicle. Um, there is none of that. I did get the question if, if you know, someone wanted to do the route but have somebody available to support them, if that was allowed. And my feeling is, sure, I really don't want this to be super structured but I want it to be fair to everybody who's participating. So if you choose to be a supported writer, um, maybe next year we need to have a category for that. We didn't do that this year, didn't even think about it. So for fairness to all participants, if you are receiving any type of support, if you are violating the guidelines of the Tour Divide or any of these other races, you would be disqualified from an official time, but you're not disqualified from completing it. If that's the way you want to participate and tackle this route, and that's what you need to get yourself to the finish line, then go ahead. You know, that's great. But, you know, some people are going to be out there for times and some people are going to, you know, want to really push themselves. So I hope that is a satisfactory answer. Maybe we can talk more about this during the Facebook Live if anybody has any questions. Uh, again, it wasn't something I considered, and so I'm kind of dealing with that one on the fly. Um, but I do want to be fair to all participants, and I also want to try to make this um, accessible and not so strict that people can't participate in the way that they want to. Kind of in that same vein, I got another email from somebody that was concerned because they are more of a adventure bike packer. They just enjoy bike packing, a recreationalist, um, and not much of a racer. And they were getting the feeling that maybe they should, uh, you know, withdraw their registration. My answer to him and anybody else is that. I am intentionally creating a route where I want you to be able to participate in a way that you enjoy. For me, riding bikes should be fun. And I think there's a lot of ways to, to tackle a event like this. You know, some people are going to want to go very light and very fast and, and go for a, a fast time. But equally, I think other people are going to just want to go out and enjoy the ride and maybe take more pictures and smell the roses and all those things. Right. So it, it was intentional that I have a showdown and a slowdown route so that people have options and also to kind of give a nod to, hey, slow down is OK. I want to actually do some real quick math um, and walk you through 
specifically the slowdown. So if you're on the slowdown and you're wondering if you'll be able to make it to the Bullet Grill by 8 p.m. on Sunday, here is the way I broke it down. Now it's 272 miles. So if you average 10 miles an hour moving time, that's essentially 27 hours. Now let's say you broke it up into three days and you slept twice for eight hours each, get a nice long rest, that's 16 hours. So now we're at 30, 40, 43 hours. And then let's say we throw six hours of stoppage time for bathroom breaks and eating and and all those, whatever you need to take care of, we'll throw six hours on top of that. Uh, So now we're at 49 hours to complete the race. Well, you have 60 hours from eight o'clock on Friday morning till 8 p.m. on Sunday evening. So you have 60 hours to complete the whole race. And as I just laid it out, you can finish it well within that time. So um, I think once you break it down like that, it seems a lot more doable. Um, and hopefully that'll be a rough guideline that some some people can kind of follow. But like I said, it doesn't really matter. If you want to stay out there for two weeks, by all means, knock yourself out. Again, I would just encourage everyone that wants to participate, whether you want to go fast, whether you want to go slow, whether it's your first time, your 12th time, I don't care. care. I am going to celebrate everybody equally. I don't, it, it, this is not about who can go the fastest for me. This is about getting a bunch of awesome cyclists, bike packers, adventure cyclists, all in the same place, enjoying some beautiful East Texas piney woods, riding their bikes, and uh, just hanging out and enjoying the stoke. Let's talk real quick about parking. We are still working on parking, but the Bullet Grill has a lot of parking. I think we could fit probably all 100 vehicles there on site, but we still need to be need to allow for them to have customers and stuff like that. So we're trying to figure out exactly how many spots they can allocate. Um, and then next door, we're work, working with them for some spots and there's a storage unit um, just a couple blocks down. So anyway, I just want to assure people that we will have parking at or very, very close to the event but we are still finalizing those details and we will get those out ASA freaking P. COVID. All right, well listen, COVID is still here in case you didn't know. And uh, because of that, we have sent out an email this past week with our COVID guidelines. And we've also sent out um, that we are gonna be requiring a negative COVID test within 72 hours to participate. Um, First off, I want to say that I appreciate everybody's decorum when I sent out that email. I know that this is a touchy subject for many and everybody's kind of tired and over COVID and, you know, it's been a long year and a half, um, but everybody handled that really well. And I am very grateful for that. You know, I think the my view on this is that COVID tests are free. They are readily available anywhere. I mean, Walgreens, CVS, Walmart, HEB, you know, all you could just walk in and and get one just about anywhere. So they're free. They're easy. um, They're pretty accurate. And uh, it's a resource that we have at our disposal. And while it is not a perfect resource, 
as a race director who is bringing a hundred people from all over into, you know, one local community. And I'm going to send y'all out into, you know, almost 400 miles um, into small communities that don't have all the resources and stuff that some of the larger cities have. And so um, I felt like it was my obligation to create the safest event possible um, with the resources that we have available. And that means COVID test. Um, I just went to an event in Austin this, you know, a couple weekends ago. And before you could get in the door, you had to do a rapid COVID test before they would let you in. Um, our editor, Ben, just went to a wedding and they're requiring negative COVID tests to get in there. I've seen, you know, uh, the UCI do this and, and, and just, I mean, lots and lots of events are, are going to this as kind of the new normal. So I'd like to, let's address the fully vaccinated real quick. We are not going to be accepting full vaccinations as a barrier to entry. We are only going to be going off of the negative COVID tests because as you are probably aware, even if you're vaccinated, you can still contract and transmit COVID. So for that reason, we are going to rely on the test alone. We are going to be requiring a negative COVID test 72 hours prior to race start. The, re the reason for the timing is because some people are going to be traveling and we really want to encourage that people get tested in their hometown, make sure that they don't have they don't have COVID before they travel um, and then, you know, be safe on the way here. And I would even encourage people that uh, maybe once you get done traveling, stop into Walgreens. Uh, they have rapid tests for sale at the front. You can get two for $23 or you can go through their drive through, get a negative and get a test for free. So I think that would be also a good thing, but we're not requiring it. I'm just asking that people be smart, be responsible and be respectful of others and help us to put on a good, fun, and safe event for everybody who is gonna be there and participating, and even people not participating. We're gonna be interacting with lots of people on, well, hopefully not too many people, but we will be interacting with people <clears throat> on the race route and even at the start and finish line. But I will say that we have a designated area outside. 99% of this event is going to be outside. So I think that's going to help on any kind of transmission. But again, let's all be smart, safe, and respectful of everybody else. All right. Well, listen, I think that is all for the questions. Um, I know that we're going to get more, but let's tee those up and save those for the Facebook Live. So that is going to take place on Thursday, September 16th at 7 p.m. If you are registered for the either slowdown or the showdown route, you will be getting an email with an invite to that. And the format for that is going to be, I'm going to start out with a route overview. We're going to go through some POIs. We're going to go through some resupply points. We're going to talk about camping, water, and that kind of, you know, just kind of go over the map and let people know what to expect, answer any questions that people have specifically about the route. And we're also going to lay out a schedule of events for race day, uh, which is fast approaching. And that way everybody knows what to expect. I'm also going to try to get parking situated between now and then. And we're also working on hiring a live band for Sunday evening. So it'd be fun to announce who that's going to be. 
et cetera. So, um, and then after that, we're just going to open that up to uh, your questions. So um, please, uh, if you have questions, concerns, comments, whatever it may be, maybe you can save them until that event, unless it's a time sensitive matter. But hopefully between, you know, all the emails that we've sent out, this podcast and that Facebook live event, we will be able to answer everybody's questions. Okay, last thing, send us your bike picks, please. I sent out an email, I think it was yesterday or the day before. We're wanting to feature all of the bikes or as many of them as possible either on the website or might even send it off to bikepacking.com to see if they want to feature it over there. But we'd love to see your bikes. We'd love to see your setup and uh, fill out that little questionnaire and email it over to Bikes or Death. Uh, the email is bikes at bikesordeath.com. And one other thing that I forgot to mention earlier on in the episode is that there is a new way to help support the podcast if you're an old timer, you'll remember the good old days when we had an Amazon affiliate link. Well, those days are far behind us and honestly, I'm okay with it. I'm kind of like over Amazon, over Jeff Bezos. Um, that guy's got too much money anyway. So we figured out our own Bikes or Death affiliate program. It's available now over at bikesordeath.com. There's a new, fresh, fancy link at the very top. And if you click it, you will find lots of shopping options from like Ombra's Patagonia, Backcountry.com, Limbs Shoes, PNW Components, and so on and so on. So if you are wanting to find a super easy way to support the show and you need to buy some outdoor gear or some bike related gear, maybe you could check out those bikes or death affiliate links on the website and see if one of those might tickle your fancy because every time you use one of those links and purchase something bikes or death gets a little bitty cut and every little bit goes a long way. I think that's it. Thank you everybody for uh, tuning into today's episode. Uh, I hope it was helpful, informative, and maybe even entertaining. If not, I hope it was at least informative. All right, well listen, we are 22 days away from race day. And if you are participating in either of these routes, I hope that you are out and training. I hope the uh, temperature gets turned down a little bit between now and then because it is hot outside right now which could be the major factor in this race but um, we actually looks like we have some rain coming through next week that's going to knock the, the temperature down and the question will be is it going to stay down or is it going to pop back up so we will see but until then you know what to do thank you for listening to today's episode and until next week don't forget to ride your damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. 